What happens is people interact on social media, they see how great your life looks. I see that, I become envious of your life, and as a coping mechanism for my envy, I make my life look better than it actually is. Hello, this is Adam Barr. Welcome to the Organic Outreach Podcast. Together we're learning how to influence our world and share our faith naturally. We do this by providing resources, leading cohorts, and equipping leaders through conferences and intensives. At Organic Outreach International, we believe every Christian plays a part in fulfilling the Great Commission, and this podcast can help you do that. Well, thanks for joining us for the Organic Outreach Podcast. Today, I'm excited to introduce you to Trevor Sutton. Trevor is a pastor of a multi-site congregation in Lansing, Michigan. He's also someone who has an academic career and someone who's written a number of really great books. One of the books I would highlight for you is one called Clearly Christian, Following Jesus in This Age of Confusion. Trevor spends a lot of his energy thinking about the relationship between technology, communications, and the gospel, and how we can reach out to people in this age that's saturated in technology, and especially in communication technology and social media and that sort of stuff. Uh, I think you're going to find this inter- this uh, conversation fascinating, so sit back and enjoy. Well, I am sitting here with Trevor Sutton. He's a pastor at St. Luke Lutheran Church. He's an author. He's a scholar. I get to hang out with him today in Lansing, Michigan. Trevor, thanks for having us. Thank you, Adam. It's a joy to be with you. Yeah, it's good to, good to be here. I'm looking forward to our conversation. We've already had a chance to kind of chat a little bit, get to know each other. Um, I'm excited to, to share your story and some of your insights with our audience. And so... I appreciate it, man. It's good. It's good to be together. Why don't you, Why don't we start? Just tell us a little bit about your life, your ministry, uh, your your history a little bit, and your your current ministry context. So I'm a guy that has a lot of different interests. Um, kind of everything in the world interests me, and uh, mm-hmm. because of that, I, I wear several different hats. Uh, okay. I wear the hat of pastor. Wear the hat of writer. Wear the hat of uh, academic. Okay. And I'm never quite sure which one of those is my main passion. They all kind of swirl together, and because of that, they all kind of mix together. So it's sort of hard to tell yeah. where, where one starts, the other stops. Uh, I'm a parish pastor at St. Luke, as you mentioned. I've been here seven years, and uh, in the course of those seven years, the ministry has changed profoundly. Uh, when I came here, we had one campus, and that campus was kind of in the suburbs, and we were fairly homogenous in in our demographics and language and things like that. And then about three years ago, we added a second campus uh, right in the heart of the city, downtown Lansing, Michigan, uh, the state capital. Which is, Lansing is about, what's the population of Lansing? You'd figure I would know that. I don't. Uh, (laughs) I'm an English major. I'm an English major. I don't know numbers. I love putting people on the spot. Sorry. Yeah, but as far as... as It's it's, it's a mid-sized city. Mid-sized city, you know, smaller than Grand Rapids, Detroit, but one of the regional centers of Michigan. And uh, with our second campus... Ministries changed profoundly. Sure. So now we have. Uh, so you, suburb campus was the was the main the, campus. The first and then one. Now you have a it, downtown Lansing campus. Exactly. Okay, gotcha. Exactly. So we're a, a multi-site ministry, you might say, and uh, because of that, now the diversity. We have worship services in English, in Arabic, and Swahili. I don't know Arabic or Swahili. We have other pastors that that lead those communities. Uh, our, our spread as far as educational attainment, socioeconomic standing uh, is very diverse now. And so we have in the pews 
We have people that work in state and federal government, teach at the university, and we have people who don't have an address because they don't have a home. Wow. And they're that side by side next yeah. to each other. Yep, we have refugees. Uh, it makes up a big population within our community. And so ministry is no two days are the same. No two conversations are identical because it's just a really wide mix of people. What's your... Um I mean, do you have a, a particular, what's your slot in the, in, on the ministry team here? What's your, what's your title? So I'm associate pastor, my title, director of ministry. Okay. And what that entails <laughs> is everything that is not uh, specifically planning worship uh, and not facilities and finances. Okay. So basically everything outside of those two things is under my care and leadership. So uh, Bible classes, small groups, uh, we have a community kitchen that, that has a weekly meal for our neighbors for free. Uh, doing that, our Cope Bank, uh, high school ministry. I mean, basically everything outside of Sunday worship. I, I preach at Sunday worship, lead worship, things like that, but I don't do much of the planning of that. Okay. But uh, teaching and the programmatic life of the church, uh, wow. I get to, to lead a team with that. And how large, the, how large is the congregation at this point? So we worship Between about, both campuses. about five or 600 people okay. and uh, on a weekly basis. And um, Again, that's kind of all over the place because we have uh, the community kitchen has a 100, 150 people, and there's service that's part of that too, and the Arabic service and the Swahili service. And uh, are new people coming into your congregation in downtown Lansing? Is that is, is this is this group growing? Absolutely, and it, it's because of that it makes it really hard to define sort of what is our community. We, we yeah. of course we have definitions of membership and things like that. And we can count worship service, but then you start counting up the total reach yeah. of the ministry. And, and there's Saturdays where we have 400 people coming through this church for either a meal or a coat. Wow. Yeah. And, and we've really zeroed in on, we have this opportunity, we have to make the most of it to proclaim Jesus in this, in this opportunity. Right. So that if we, we give a meal or we give a coat, that transforms someone's day sure. or their winter. But if we get to share Jesus, that transforms eternity. So how do you do that? Creative ways. <laughs> Creative ways. One of the ways with our coat bank, we get people come in and uh, they take a number and they go in the sanctuary and they hang out. And then okay. we let people into the coat bank area 10 by 10. So there's 10 people at a time in there and there's 150 people waiting in the, the sanctuary. And one of the things that we've done that's actually been quite successful, very simple, in the sanctuary, we have a little table and a little piece of paper that says, need prayer, question mark, and letting people uh, come up to us and engage in conversation through that. And it's amazing. The last time I did it, I was there for an hour and a half, and there was not a moment in that hour and a half I didn't have someone talking to me. That's amazing. Yeah, and the, the goal of it all was to, to get to know someone's name, get to know someone's story, uh, proclaim Jesus, and pray with that person. That's incredible. And what was really cool is some people come and, hey, I need prayer. Can we pray about this? Some people would walk by me and then come back 30 minutes later and say, hey, can we talk about something? Wow. Uh, and it was just neat to see kind of the wheels turning, the spirit at work, uh, and just that opportunity. So that's our big thing is, God has blessed us by bringing this person in the door. Beautiful. We, we got to make the most of it. Yeah. Proclaiming the gospel. Organic outreach, uh, in, in the organic outreach for churches, it talks about uh, four different uh, levels of outreach. Mm. And, and kind of in terms of which, which 
you know, level four would be, you know, there's an explicit presentation of the gospel and an opportunity for people to come, you know, to respond immediately sure, to the gospel. Sure. All the way down to, you know, acts of love and service where you hope that maybe you might have a personal conversation with someone. Sounds like you guys are We're like at a level two, maybe. Trying to pull yeah. pull toward that. And That's it's, great. It's, it's a challenge. It really is. Yeah. But at yeah. the same time, we just feel like the opportunity is too great that Saturday for four hours, Amen. we have yeah. 400 people yes. in our midst. And, and, and again, nothing not to diminish a coat or a meal. No. But to... to um, it's all part of the sh- sharing the kingdom, yeah. sharing the love of Jesus. And That's we don't great. want to just transform an hour, <laughs> but we want to transform... Yeah, eternity. Amen. So that's your that's your pastor hat. Um, tell tell us a little bit about uh, your your other two hats, the writing and the academics. Yeah, so writing has persistently been a passion of mine. I've written four books uh, for Concordia Publishing House. The most recent book, uh, Clearly Christian: Following Jesus in This Age of Confusion. And in that book, I get to address sort of digital technology, my, my academic interests, but making that accessible in a way that the average reader can, can yeah. understand it. And just, uh, that book is really about, I think we have, more than anything else in this modern age, we have confusion. <laughs> and, and in this world of confusion, how do we, how are we absolutely clear as Christians uh, conveying the gospel, uh, living as the people of Jesus, and, and, and hacking through that confusion? How would you define confusion? Confusion, the way I like to define it, probably because I'm a nerd, is uh, by Latin. Okay. And Latin really, the, the, the etymology of that word has to do with fusing two substances. Okay. And the, the image I use is just imagine dropping some ink in water and then swirling it around. And suddenly you can't tell where the ink starts and stops and where the water is. And it becomes this inky mess. Mm-hmm. And I really, I, I take it back theologically to sin, that sin has introduced confusion into this world so that now it's it's hard to see when God declares it is good what I've made sin makes it really hard to to separate that and and where is the goodness in the midst of this sin Uh, but I see Jesus as coming into this world of confusion and proclaiming clarity truth undoing that that confusion yeah, I mean that's you're 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 treading on the edge of like really profound uh (laughs) issues of of discussion and even debate in the church i mean you know if you look at the old testament i mean it, the opposite of confusion would probably be holiness right i sure. mean it's uh, holiness is separate it separates things out confusion you know brings it together and you've got churches today that are that are looking and saying how do we speak to a culture without being part of that culture right mm-hmm. how do we how do we um use the tools of this culture um, and, and some people, I would say, are probably on a very naive end of the spectrum and say, oh, we can just use, use it and just put Jesus on it. Right? Sure, sure. Is that? But then you have people on the other end who are kind of us against the world, mm-hmm. us against culture, and don't, don't see how those things wed together. How, how, how have your studies helped you kind of navigate that spectrum of ideas, kind of, th- kind of thoughtless appropriation versus, um, versus being completely anti-anything cultural, like somehow we can separate ourselves from it. Both of them are kind of naive positions. They are both naive, and I think one of the things that that my academic studies have really just brought out for me is how hard it is to remain aware or to remain cognizant of the way the culture may be influencing us or the way, for me more particularly, technology is influencing us. 
And a guy named Don Eide, talking about technology, he says that when these things are working as they should, they're invisible. Oh, yeah. Because they're thoroughly integrated into life <laughs> and the world. And, you know, when your uh, technology, when, you're, when your router, your internet router is not working, that's when you become aware that you have an internet router. Sure. It's kind of like the sound. You, you, you realize that, that there's a sound guy in the back of the worship center when the microphone doesn't get turned on at the right point. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> when he's doing his job, you don't know he's doing his job. <laughs> And that's how technology works. And I think, in, 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 to an extent, that's how culture works. Yeah. That, that culture is generally invisible, and it's the air you breathe. And because of that, it's really hard to be aware of it and to be cognizant of it as to how it is influencing your theology. Yes. Or, like you said, kind of naive to think that you can just put on a gas mask and, and not breathe that air. And, and somehow... As the people of Jesus, we have to come to terms with both of those extremes and, again, maintaining that truth and clarity in the midst of that. So you've, you've, you've introduced the concept of confusion, right, which is the fusing of two things, mm-hmm. kind of the, the ink in the water. You just used another really critical word, the word culture. Uh, how, would you, how would you define culture for us? My favorite definition of culture... I'm not good enough to know the German of it, but it essentially comes down to like culture glasses. Yeah. And uh, essentially, I think culture is one of those things that it's the lenses you wear to see the world. And in that sense, culture and worldview probably have a lot in common. Hmm. Uh, and so I do think culture is the sense in which it's the, the lens by which you're viewing everything. And that's where it, go ahead, no. that's where it becomes such a profound thing. I'm I'm just about blind without my contacts or glasses. Yeah. Uh, and because of that, I, I can't see anything. And I'm very aware when I don't have them in. Right. But when I do have those glasses on, suddenly it all comes in clarity. And it's a sense in which you can put on a different prescription and it comes out of focus or in focus or you see things that you wouldn't see otherwise. And so at a church with multiple cultures, we're yeah. constantly kind of switching glasses. In some ways, it almost forces you to be more... Absolutely, absolutely, and that's... And the, I mean, culture, I guess, uh, uh, one undeniable aspect of culture is that it's almost always just assumed. Mm. And unless you're, unless you're around someone different, then you, you don't realize that this... You're assuming something that isn't necessarily the way it has to be. Absolutely. And, and again, kind of like technology, it's assumed and it's invisible... Until it's not. So let's <laughs> when dig it's into ruptured, that. Then, then you're aware of culture. Then you're aware of these things. No, that's, that's what I want to dig into because you've, you've, um, you and I uh, met because I read an article that you wrote. I found it fascinating, kind of this dopamine addiction that a lot of people have related to tech, related to their phones. Um, I can still remember watching uh, years ago the CEO at the time of Sprint, and this is in the time of flip phones were brand new. Like if you had a little tiny flip phone and that was like the cutting edge of technology. <laughs> and I can still remember getting my very first text message okay, on a yeah, flip phone. Yeah. And I thought, this is never going to catch on. <laughs> you know, all you had was numbers and you're trying to bang out a message to reply. And I thought, this is ridiculous. And then this, this guy from Sprint gets up and says, you know, soon we're going to be using these things to take pictures and we're going to share our lives with people and we're going to be... Uh, and and I, I listened to the whole thing and it just sounded like science fiction you know obviously here we are now this is your thing this is what you study how how 
it, what is the role that, that these devices that we carry around with us all the time, what, how does that connect with what it means to be a Christian in the world today? I'd like to answer that with a, a story. And I think this story kind of ties a lot of my interest together as a parish pastor, as an academic, uh, and one who's just curious about technology. Uh, I was teaching, uh, it was a middle school Bible class, and as I usually will do, we're talking about something, and I, I said, you know, hey, let's turn to this scripture reading. Who, who wants to read it for us? <laughs> and a young man raises his hand and said, hey, I'll, I'll read it for you, Pastor. And uh, he's pulling it up, and he's pulling it up on a tablet, and he's just about ready to do it. And then he says, my Bible died. Oh, no. And in that moment, I was like, oh, okay. And then I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. That's incredible. Like, and they're all looking at me like I'm crazy. But it just dawned on me that in, in the history of Christendom, to say my Bible died would have been nonsense 100 years ago, 500 years ago in the early church. And that became really clear to me how these things are, are woven together mm -hmm. that for someone today to say my Bible died, it, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a, yeah, nobody there needed clarification. We all understood. But the fact that we interact with God's word in these things and, and, and your Bible can die or you can be reading scripture and get a phone call or you can get an email or a notification. And, and that was I, was, I was in the midst of my graduate studies at Michigan State in digital rhetoric when this happened. And I said, whoa, there's something big going on here that the way we interact with God's word is transformed in a lot of ways through the, the medium or the technology we use to read it. So because of that, it's kind of set me on this path of exploring technology and theology and, and how they intersect with one another. And, and then once you get sort of like that, that culture glasses, once you put these glasses on and start asking these, these research questions, suddenly it's everywhere. And you realize, you know, a congregation has a website and all these social media platforms. And that's, that's a um, signpost into the whole world. Uh, many congregations are live streaming services and, and they're preaching. Yeah, we do that. Yeah, they're <laughs> many are. And their preaching is not just happening in this local place, but now it's happening in some digital place. Uh, people reading scripture on their smartphones, all these different things. As a pastor, you email, you Facebook message people, uh, you're catching people with text messages, all these different things that the way we communicate as pastors and interact with people, uh, it's not just face-to-face -face anymore, it's... Right. I mean, I, 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 it's, it's really true. I mean, I, I've, in the last couple of years, I've gotten used to standing up and I say, you know, good morning. I want to welcome you. Those of you in the room here, we have people downstairs uh, with, with a live worship band downstairs and video gets piped down there. And then it's also out online. And those of you joining us online, yep. that just has become the norm, or the way that I greet. Open up your Bibles or turn yeah. on your Bible. Yeah. And yeah. it just becomes part of the language that one of, the, one of my uh, other pastors, he'll say, open your the Bible on your lap or on your app. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so we, I think the big thing that a lot of us do is we assume that we're using technology. Um, we sort of just, we think, we, we take it for granted. We're the ones acting on the technology. We use it for us. But I would assume that one of the things you would say is that also technology transforms us. We don't just use tech to change the world. Tech, technology itself, so for instance, smartphones and and then into digital, the digital world of social media, that acts on us. How does, how, what are some of the questions that you are asking 
and that you think the church needs to be asking about how technology is impacting us and impacting the church? This is what the stuff I love to talk about. And so as you've kind of explained already, we assume that we use technology, but in fact, there's a great deal of evidence to show that technology uses us. Uh, Henry David Thoreau said, uh, you think you ride on the rails, but the rails ride on you. Huh. Uh, one of Marshall McLuhan's colleagues, uh, he said something about, you know, we shape our tools and then our tools shape us. Yeah. And this kind of idea that, that we assume we have absolute and total agency over the technology that we interact with and that we exert power on it, but it is completely passive in relation to us. Mm-hmm. And that's dangerous ground, I think. How does, how does, how does technology pose a challenge um, to the pursuit of holiness? In many ways. I think one way would have to do with, this comes from Marshall McLuhan, who I just referenced. Uh, he talks about technology as extensions of ourselves. Okay. And once you start thinking these terms, you realize, wow, it's, it's, it's everywhere in the sense of uh, a car and a wheel is an extension of your foot. Yeah. And, and, and what that wheel does is it takes what your foot could do and it extends it and yeah. it speeds it up. It, it makes your foot far more powerful and everything like that. Uh, so taking that to digital media, this extension of yourself, I am present in this room right now, mm-hmm. but I am also present through technology like Facebook. So my face is, sounds weird, but literally out there yeah. <laughs> on the internet. My face is not just here, but, but there. And uh, Marshall McLuhan, he has a pretty vivid way of describing this, but he calls it self-amputation. Oh, wow. But, but even this podcast yeah. is taking our brains and our thoughts and our language and our words and sort of amputating it, putting it out there uh, for, for, for people to consume later, somewhere else, some other time. And, and when we do this, it's not just us extending ourselves, but it, it forces us to reconfigure in relation to these things. And so uh, we are, are shaped in that process. And I think one of the ways that we're shaped in that process is distraction. Okay. In the sense that uh, I heard somebody say that email is your, your public to-do list or bulletin board. <laughs> and when I email you, I'm putting something on your to-do list and your bulletin board. Hmm. And in that sense, I, I, I struggle with this all the time. I've got two young daughters, and I can be at home with them and get an email, and suddenly my mind is somewhere else because I'm extended yeah. digitally so that I have a public board that anybody can give me a to-do. Yeah. And now I'm thinking, oh, and no longer am I here, but this extension of myself digitally, I'm, I'm out there. Yeah. And it's, yeah, so, so in many ways, the, the ability to be present is, is challenged. Absolutely. Um, and, and not just email, but it's text message, Facebook notification, uh, news headlines. Yeah, my, my watch just buzzed and let me know something. I haven't checked you it You probably yet. need to get up and walk around or I something like that. I probably do, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this, so, so, and this, these are not, when we talk about, the, and when we start thinking about ourselves and, and the shape of our souls and holiness, I mean, every single person, if you've ever been to a dinner party, you know what it is to, 
you know, be talking with people and someone, you can tell they're projecting something outward that they want you to see and how clever they are, how funny they are, you know, like, or, and you're tempted to kind of, you know, one up the person or, you know, there's, there's all these things that take place at a personal inner, inner, interpersonal level face to face with people. How do those things play out in a broader sense through technology? In pretty dangerous ways. So Don Eide, he's a philosopher of technology. He talks about how technology inclines us to act in certain ways. Oh, wow. And okay. so just thinking about like an inclined plane, you know, it, it, it forces you in a direction. Yeah. And you have so to, you have to resist. You have to resist you're gonna go. actively or yeah. you're going to go according. And where are the places that, that to social media, for instance, wants to take us? Absolutely. So that's the scary thing because that like button is not there by accident. Yep. Somebody has, has designed that into the interface, uh, and they've designed it into the interface based on user research uh, that, that people want this, more so that people want to be liked, yep. which I think gets deep into theology and, and really um, righteousness and things like that. We want to be deemed right, mm. uh, and if we aren't deemed right sort of quorum deo in the presence of God. We want to be deemed right quorum mundo in the presence of the world and right. people around us. And so the whole thing of, of social media, it really inclines us to the fact that there is a share opportunity and you can put your photos on there and you can be liked and that can be quantified for everyone to see how likable you really are. Yeah. The whole thing just invites us, uh, in the language I often use, it, it inclines us to boast Yes. And, and to, to one-upmanship, sort of like you talked about. And there's been studies on this. Uh, one from some German researchers was really fascinating. Uh, they, they, they said that what happens is people interact on social media. They see how great your life looks because it's like a highlight reel of all your awesome yeah. stuff, right? I see that. I become envious of your life. And as a coping mechanism for my envy... I make my life look better than it actually is. Yeah. So I boast. So I'm envious. I try to mitigate that by boasting. Someone else comes and sees my puffed up life online and they get envious. And what do they do? They boast. And so it becomes, they call it a spiral yeah. of envy, boasting, envy, boasting, envy, boasting. And that, again, we can exert agency against this and, and resist that and fight against but it. But you have to fight against it. But you have it. to, but you have to be aware of the way it's working. And, and studying social media has ruined me for it <laughs> because now I, I want to post something and I'm immediately thinking, what are my motives? Yeah. What am I, what am I hoping to do? But you, see, I mean, we, <laughs> there's so many, so many things we could talk about. I, I think you know, we, we talk about our computers getting viruses, you mm. know, um, I, I, I sometimes, I, I'm afraid that our souls are just infected at, in mega, at mega levels. We should be more than afraid, I think. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, when we think about the, you know, the, the, the most root sin of pride, technology has, an, I, I, I think a lot of us walk around completely unaware of just how infected we are by it. And this, just like technology magnifies, you said the car and the foot, I mean, our, the, the capacity of our soul to go in dangerous directions with this stuff is magnified. Absolutely. And, and in different ways, people have studied technology. It sounds weird to connect this, but warfare and the ability that people had in warfare based on technology to hurt and harm 
a thousand years ago yeah. is relatively small based on the technology. Right. But as technology's grown, the, the speed, the magnitude, the severity yeah. of violence and technology, it's, it's gotten up. And like you're saying, pride has probably been pretty consistent yeah, since the fall. It's a perennial problem. <laughs> perennial right. problem. It's a sin problem. But we now have this technology which magnifies it, extends it, speeds it up. Uh, makes it public performance. Yes. So it's not just pride within my heart or within my home, but it's pride on that the internet. That is rewarded. Oh, yeah, that's publicly rewarded, and it's just it's, it's so, scary. So I, I hate to have to do this. We're, we're going to have to have another conversation and have you on again. But <laughs> it, how, it, with that in mind, we, I feel like we were ju- we've just kind of stepped into the room of, the, of what this means for us as, as spiritual beings, as as people ministering in the world, we're ministering to this world uh, that is, is in many ways putting pride on steroids, blinding us to our own sin, these sorts of things. If you could give a message to every local church pastor about how, what it means to minister in this context, what would that message be? A message would be this. Uh, Marshall McLuhan talked about uh, technology is put out before it's thought out. Okay. And that has just been very helpful to me in that Apple puts a technology out and they think it out mechanically, they think it out from a design process, things like that, but they are not thinking it out as far as the human user goes and what that has to do with the human user's soul or relationship with God, relationship with neighbor, things like that. Uh, They're certainly not thinking about the theological ramifications, the pastoral ramifications of this technology. So I think a message to listeners would be, it is incumbent upon us that these things have been put out there. Now we have to think it out. Yeah. And, and, and thinking it out, what I mean by that is, is reflecting on this, having these conversations, being aware, stopping long enough to, to before you act on social media, before you post something, before you whatever, thinking, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? How is this shaping my actions? Things like that. Uh, the words of John the Baptist have, have been really profound for me in this. When he said, uh, I must decrease, he must increase. Amen. And I think that's another part of this thinking it out, hmm. is, is asking that question, with this technology, how is this causing Christ to increase and how is this causing me to decrease? Oh, that's great. And I think that question will ruin us for social media, <laughs> without a doubt. Let's, let's end it right there. Okay. That's, that's perfect, Trevor. Thank you so much. How can Christ increase? How can we, de- how can we decrease? That is a question we should all be asking um, when it comes to our use of tech. Trevor, thank you so much for being on the show with us. Thank you, Adam. It's been great. Yeah, God bless. You too. Well, I hope you found that as fun as I did. Uh, Trevor is a great guy. You can learn more about him on his website, atreversutton.com. That's atreversutton, S-U-T-T-O-N.com. Check him out. Uh, Pick up one of his books. And uh, if you get a chance, listen to some of the talks that he has there available. All right, that's it for now. Goodbye, God bless. I want to also encourage you, help us get the word out by joining the Organic Outreach Media Squad. All you have to do is send an email to info at organicoutreach.org and let us know that you want to join the team. If you do, we'll send you one of our newly minted Organic Outreach Media Squad mugs. Just imagine how jealous your friends are going to be when they see you sipping your favorite beverage in one of these babies. I think you want to do it. Well, for now, (laughs) this is Adam Barr reminding you, 
Make time to share God's life today.